0: It's become a custom here, and one that the elders take great joy in doing is praying for those who are getting married and praying for those who are uh, going to have uh, new babies. And this morning, we have that opportunity to do so. So Lauren and Jackson Carey, will be having a baby girl here in about a a month, a month, give or take. Um, And uh, today is a baby shower uh, for Lauren in the fireside room at 2 o'clock, and ladies, I hope that you can come uh, to that. Jackson and Lauren, we charge you at this congregation to raise your child in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord, and we know that you will do so because you're here. Will you pray with me, please? Father, thank you for Jackson and Lauren. Father, we pray that She will be delivered of a healthy baby girl, and that they will raise this child to follow you. Father, we pray that all of us here will help them do so. Thank you for Jesus, and
1: it's in his name we pray. Amen. Good morning. We got a new mic, can you tell? I think we're all going to enjoy that. We're talking about uh, conquering giants in our lives. Last week, we talked about the giant of lust, and I admitted as we were starting that lesson how awkward it was to talk about that. It's a very serious topic, and many of you were so complimentary of that message, um, um, one man came to me, and we were standing about right there, and he looked back over at, you know, where we had all been seating. And he said, I'm really glad you spoke on that topic, because there's a lot of those people who needed to hear that. <clears throat> and while he was kidding, the giant today is pride. And if I may say so, there's a lot of those people who really need to hear this. And that's part of the challenge of this one, though, because with pride, we don't see it in ourselves. You know, I think about medical doctors. When I was thinking about this, medical doctors have an incredible challenge to try to diagnose what's going on. Of course, they examine the body, but they also ask questions, and they have to ask the right questions. And they also depend on you to give truthful answers. But we don't always do that, do we? Sometimes we minimize things that are happening or we uh, uh, exaggerate things that are happening. Doctors need to know all the symptoms, everything that's going on to make the proper diagnosis. Well, I would say when the giant of pride has infected us, taken over our lives, we also don't often see it, not in ourselves We tend to overlook it. But again, there's the irony because I may not see it in myself, but I can so easily see it in others. Don't we all? I mean, we we can see it, and and it's so obvious to us, but not in ourselves. So as you hear this message today, I hope you're not going to think, well, I'm so glad he's talking about this because she needs this or he needs that, or uh, I would say every single one of us needs this. You can even say, I don't have pride in my life. That's really not a struggle for me. I've got struggles, but that's, that's not one. But just so you know, that's your pride speaking, even as you say that. C.S. Lewis explained it this way. He said, There is one vice of which no man in the world is free. A vice in which everyone in the world loathes when he sees it in someone else. In which there is hardly any people who ever imagine they are guilty of themselves. That is pride. Well, because we have a hard time seeing this in ourselves, I want us to spend a couple of moments just talking about the symptoms of pride. How do you know when this is you? How do you know when you've got a struggle? Because much like a disease, there's a lot of questions to ask and a lot of ways that uh, the symptoms might present themselves. So if you've got your outline, you're gonna fill in some blanks, I've got them on the screen, a lot of reasons there. I'm just gonna quickly go through through these. One thing pride does, it makes you stubborn and it makes you defensive. And I'm gonna mention those together because they're often connected, they're related. Pride is what keeps the wife from saying, let's do it your way. Pride is what keeps the teenager from saying, I'm sorry. Pride is what keeps the employee from saying, it's my fault. Pride is what keeps the husband from saying, yes, we are lost, dear. Pride makes you defensive. Pride makes you stubborn. Here's another one. Pride makes you arrogant. It turns you into a know-it-all. Romans 12, 16 in the Living Bible, it says, don't act big and don't think you know everything but we can fall into that trap. That our opinions, our viewpoints are the most reasonable and they're right. Sometimes C and I will talk about something and we'll just kind of jokingly say, if everybody would just listen to me, you know, but we think that, and that is pride speaking. Pride makes you arrogant. Pride makes you argumentative. Proverbs 13, 10, where there is strife, there is pride. It's because you think you're right. And because you think you're right, then you're going to argue the point and try to convince others that you're right because you're so right. And all they hear is your pride speaking. Pride also makes you critical. You're the one who's quick to tell people what they're doing wrong. never occurs to you that they may know something you don't know. They may have some experience with that problem that you're not aware of. Or maybe your way is not the best way. And that constant critical spirit does so much damage to relationships. Your coworkers just tolerate being around you because it's their job and they have to. Your spouse is just exhausted at dealing with how right you are. It destroys and hurts churches. We bring that same critical spirit to church, and we're criticizing the song leader, and we can't even read music. We're criticizing the sermon, and we're criticizing what somebody's wearing. We're we're criticizing because that's what pride does. It makes us critical. You know what else pride can do? It makes us ungrateful. Pride makes you think you deserve something. Pride makes it hard for you to wait and take your turn. Pride makes you want the best, and if you don't get the best, well, then you just fuss until you get it. That critical spirit erupts. Now, we'll never admit it, but it's that sense of entitlement, and when we have that, what that is is pride Pride makes you discontent. Pride fuels jealousy. Pride asks the question, who has the most authority, the most power? It's pride that asks, who's got the the best office, or the biggest house, or, or the best truck, and the list goes on and on. Who scored the most points in the game? And it keeps score. Pride makes us competitive. But more than just the field and the court, I'm not talking about that kind of competition. I'm talking about the kind of competition that makes it hard for you to rejoice when someone you know has success. Pride is that strange sense of satisfaction when someone in your friend group fights with their parents or has struggles in their marriage. It's that secret sense of celebration when a good friend of yours from high school has some kind of failure in their life. Pride keeps you from being happy for a friend who's building a new house. Pride keeps you from being happy with a co-worker who got a promotion that you were also going for. That's pride. Here's another symptom of pride. Not easily spotted. Pride makes you self-conscious. Maybe it's in the form of vanity. Someone defined vanity as the inability to walk past a shiny object without looking at yourself in it. That's vanity. Pride shows itself when we're overly focused on our appearance. We're obsessed with what other people think, what they might say. That's pride. When you post a picture online of maybe a celebration or event or something going on, and in your comments you mention about your hair or your looks or your something, that's pride. And we can all be guilty of this. Now, there's more symptoms. Those are just a few. Maybe you can talk about more in our small group discussions tonight. But here's the question. Any one of those describe you? Several? Maybe at times all of them? I know they describe me at times, so as much as I'm preaching about this, I'm I'm confessing it as well. Pride is a disease, truly, that no one is immune. And here's another thing about pride we need to know. At one point, we think I'm doing well with this, but hang on, because tomorrow is another day. And it could truly take you down that quickly. It is a giant we all must battle. So we're looking at Old Testament people to be examples of how to deal with these giants in our lives. I want us to consider how Moses is described. Look in Numbers Chapter 12, verse 3. Now, Moses was a very humble man, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. Isn't that an incredible statement? More humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. That's a humble man. Now, someone rightly pointed out there's a slight problem with this description of Moses. See, Moses wrote the book of Numbers, so he wrote this about himself. So maybe someone else kind of put that in there. So, so maybe there's, there's that. But I want us to see how Moses did have quite a few things to be proud of. I mean, we know the story of Moses, but just a quick review. He grew up in a palace. Now, that had to be something that for, for sure wasn't every day. And that had to make him think, okay, this is really special. You remember the story there, Herod became paranoid with the Hebrews growing in number that he commanded all the the Hebrew babies be put to death. Moses' mother was not willing to go along with that, put her baby in the basket, laid him in that water just so that the Pharaoh's daughter would find him. And we know the story there. She claimed Moses as her own. Even though he was an Israelite slave, he grew up in a palace. And because of that, he had position and power. He wasn't just a servant. He wasn't an Israelite slave in the palace. He grew up as a child of, a, of this queen, if you will, this princess. According to Joseph, in his work, History of the Jews, Moses would have been a general in Pharaoh's army. Wow. That's impressive. At an early age, to be put in that kind of position. And we also know from Scripture he was well-educated, very smart, very accomplished. Acts 7, verse 22, Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in speech and in action. So he's got the best education, the best opportunities, a prominent position. And do you know we also read in the Bible that he was good-looking? Did you know that about Moses. His mother said so. Exodus chapter 2, verse 2. His mother said, he's beautiful. Now, two thoughts about that. One is just why you giggled. Every mother thinks their baby is beautiful. And we all just nod and go along with them. Even though we know when there's times where I hope he becomes beautiful. Maybe. We'll, we'll, we'll keep hope. But here's another one. You know who wrote Exodus? Moses. Moses so he wrote that too. But Josephus said this, he was so striking in his features that oftentimes the Egyptians would just try to get a glimpse of what he looked like. Did you know that? So it turns out he looked like Charlton Heston after all. (laughs) That's what you're thinking. The Bible tells us he grew up in wealth, in a palace, with position. He was a leader. He was handsome. That's quite a few things going for him. But Moses also knew he was a Hebrew. And you remember the story when he saw that Egyptian taskmaster beating that other fellow Hebrew? He intervened, ended up killing that taskmaster and ran away for his life. For 40 years, at 40 years of age, he he ran off to the desert of Midian Gave up living in a palace, gave up being in charge of an army to keeping sheep for his father in law, Jethro. This continues for another 40 years until one day his life changed forever. You know the story. God appears to Moses in that bush that is on fire but is not consumed. Turning the Bibles to Exodus chapter 3, God gives him this assignment. You know the story, you know the assignment. God was going to use Moses to free his people from the Egyptian slavery. And look at this humble response in Exodus chapter 3, verse 11. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Now, this is a big change from 40 years earlier. He's gone from being a general in Pharaoh's army to shepherding. That had to be humbling. Had to be but it prepared him to be used by God in an amazing way. And we're seeing this, are we not, in this series about conquering these giants? Gideon was hiding from the Midianites, hiding. So here's this humble man, and the angel of the Lord appears to him and calls him a man of valor, a mighty warrior, and he becomes just that. Joseph, as a boy, has these dreams of greatness, but it wasn't until after he was ultimately humiliated By his own brothers who were thinking about killing him, sold him as a slave. And there he is, humiliated by his boss's wife, falsely accused, thrown into prison, sits there for years. Until finally, he's positioned so that God can use him. And again and again in the Bibles, we see this. God will humble someone or find the one who is humble and then use them and bless them. Humility. Humility is the key to being blessed by God. I hope you noticed that in some of the songs that that Rob chose for us to lead today. Look on the screen. You know these verses, and there's even more, but just look at these three. Psalm 18, verse 27. For you save a humble person, but the haughty eyes you bring down. Proverbs 3, verse 34. Toward the scorners he is scornful, but to the humble he gives favor. Isaiah, chapter 66, verse 2. But this is the one to whom I will look, he who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. In God's eyes, I hope you know this, in God's eyes, this this humble spirit is of greater worth than power or education or talent or ability or looks or anything. To be humble is what God is looking for. That way nobody can boast before him. God chooses the humble. So what is the remedy then for this disease? If we're all infected in some ways, if it takes us down, how do we handle this? What do we do? Well, it's not easy for one, and we need to admit that, and we need help. We need each other's help. But let me make four suggestions. The first is this. Have an accurate view of yourself. Have an accurate view of yourself. Romans 12, verse 3 Paul writes, I say to every one of you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. That's what Paul is saying here. Have, have the right view of yourself. But that's difficult, don't you think? Because at times we don't always do that. It's hard for us to be honest about our limitations, or about our faults. Sometimes we don't see them in ourselves. So when you go and look in a mirror, the mirror doesn't lie. You get one of those mirrors that's kind of the three-way, you can see all the way around, you realize your hair looks good in the front and on the back, it's a whole other story. You know, we need that. We need a spiritual mirror here. But let's clarify between humility and insecurity, because sometimes we may use one description to talk about another concept. And I think that's what we see here with Moses and the interchange he has with God. Moses asked, who am I? But then as he continues talking, his response is way more than humility. Moses tells God, I'm not a good communicator. I'm not much of a leader. Why should Pharaoh listen to me? But God sees it for what he is, for what it is, and he calls it excuses. And he doesn't hear of it. In fact, in chapter 4, the next chapter, after listening to Moses share all these excuses... The Bible says, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. He became upset with him. He wasn't upset because of his humility. It was something else. Moses learned an important lesson about conquering the giant of pride. See, humility is not going around with a low view of yourself. It's not walking around feeling defeated. Moses' response to God revealed, at least early on, it was more like insecurity than it was humility. In fact, it was a false humility. You might even call it an inverted pride. Look at this quote from John Ortberg. He said, Humility is not about convincing yourself and other people that you are incompetent or unattractive. And sometimes we do that, trying to be humble, and and yet this is not humility at all. Let's just say if someone comes up to you and says, You look really nice today. How do you respond to that? Do you say, "Oh, the lighting's poor in here. You need glasses." You know what that is? That's false humility. Or if someone says, "Oh, you look really nice today," do you say, "Oh, tell me more." In fact, keep talking until I tell you to stop. You know how? How do you? Or if somebody compliments you, can you just say, "Thank you," and leave it there, and just truly really receive the kind words intended. You see, humility is not walking around feeling defeated, feeling like you're a loser, feeling like you, like you have nothing to offer. That is not humility. So to conquer the giant of pride, we have to have an accurate view of ourselves. But how do we do that and still feel secure and still feel confident? Well, look at Moses. And that brings me to the second remedy, straight here from the text, have an accurate view of God. This is what God does for Moses. This is what Moses needed. This is what we all need. But watch how God interacts with him. Moses says to God, who am I? That's the question. Who am I? And notice, God replies, I will be with you. And they have this interchange again and again. Because Moses says, I'm not a good speaker. God says, I made your tongue. And so he's every time Moses is thinking about himself, talking about himself, looking at himself, God is saying, eyes up here. You're looking the wrong direction you look at me what moses needed was not self-confidence but confidence in god that's what he was lacking here because self-confidence think about it either leads to pride or or it leads to disappointment in yourself it's not going to go well god does not tell moses oh yes you are capable I've made you a leader. He doesn't say that. He just says, you've got the skills, you've got the voice, you've got the education, you've got the talent. Most of people like you. He doesn't say that at all. God says, Moses, I will be with you. And he repeats that again and again. What Moses needed was not self-confidence. He needed confidence in God, or to say it better, maybe, faith in God are we talking about the same thing there? Isn't that what this is? Moses needed an awareness and a belief that God was going to work powerfully through him. You want to defeat the giant of pride? You have an accurate view of yourself. And actually that begins with having an accurate view of God. Well, here's the third one. Exhibit a willingness to listen and an openness to change. Here's where I think Moses can be a really good example to us because we read about him being the most humble man on all the earth, and I truly believe that's true. You study Moses and you see that again and again. Moses was so selfless, he was humble. It is is amazing to study his life and, and you see that. We're reading from Exodus chapter three. That's right at the call. He goes in, has the plagues, they cross the Red Sea, Three months later, we get to Exodus chapter 18, and Moses shifts from, who am I, to, I'm the only one who can do this. Isn't that something? So quick. Because I was going back and I was reading these chapters thinking, okay, how much time has really passed here? Has it been another 40 years? Oh, no, they've not even made it. They're right at Mount Sinai. They've not even received the law yet. I mean, they just, I mean, they've still got the mist spray of the Red Sea on them. But he so quickly went from, who am I, that I'm the only one who can do this. Moses doesn't see the problem, but Jethro, his father-in-law, does. Look at Exodus chapter 18, verse 14. When Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, He said, what is this that you're doing for the people? Why do you sit alone? Put that word in red. I want you to note that word. And all the people stand around you from morning to evening. And look at verse 15, his reply, because Moses, look at his words. He reveals how his focus was all on himself. Moses said to his father-in-law, because the people come to me to inquire of God. When they have a dispute and they come to me and I decide between one person and another and I make them know the statutes of God's and his laws. Then verse 17, Moses' father-in-law said to him, what you're doing is not good. You and the people with you certainly wear yourselves out for this thing is too too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. Moses wasn't trusting others. To handle some of the responsibilities. This may be the lesson you need to hear today. If you have a delegation problem in your life, if you have a delegation problem, it may not be a delegation problem. That may be the symptom of a pride problem. Was Moses thinking, well, if you want something done right, you got to do it yourself. You ever heard that? You ever thought that? You ever responded to a situation because you were thinking that way? Had Moses transitioned so quickly from telling God, I'm not your man, to now telling himself, I'm the only man for the job? That's what I see as I read through this. He took pride in people coming to him. Did he enjoy their praises? Did he like being able to fix it? There's pride revealing itself. We see it over and over again. Pride gives you an overinflated view of your own importance, your own talents. I was reading through this and I had a flashback. Early in my ministry, I was a youth minister and our preacher on staff. We were meeting for coffee one morning and multiple times. We were just about ministry and, and the joys and the frustrations. You may have heard me say this before because it just I think of it from time to time. He would get a salt shaker and he'd get one little thing of salt, and he said, Do you see that? Do you see that? And he'd go, That's you. That's me. You work so hard. You're keeping your business afloat. You're holding your family together. You're doing it all. Are you? Are you? Are you that important? Or is God important? Pride gives you an overinflated view of your own importance. In the verses that follow, Jethro, his father-in-law, gives him some guidance. Look at verse 19. Jethro said to this, Now, 80 year old Moses, most powerful man in all of Israelites, now obey my voice. I will give you advice and God be with you. You know, it's hard to receive advice from other people, isn't it? Especially when they're right, especially if it's your in law. So, how willing are you to listen? How open are you to change? Maybe an employee shares an idea, a way to improve a situation at work. Is your immediate response just to, if not show it, you roll your eyes and think you have no idea what it takes to lead this team to be in charge? Or do you listen and honestly weigh their insight? Or maybe your parent makes a suggestion about your parenting. Do you listen to them? Or does your pride keep you from hearing their wise counsel? Parents, maybe your child is concerned about your relationship to God. You're so 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 committed to get them here for Bible class, but do you stay for class? Are you out in the hallways talking? Do they sense in you a hunger and thirst for God? Are you too proud to listen? Teens, maybe your grandparent comes to you and expresses concern. About maybe the modesty of your clothing or some other choices that you're making. Do you, do you just close your mind and, and write them off because they're too old? Or do you listen? To conquer the giant of pride, we have to have a willingness to listen and an openness to change. Here's one more do not take credit for what God does. Do not take credit for what God does. Moses is in the desert leading these people to the land of promise. The people are complaining. To say high maintenance. That's an understatement. This time they're thirsty, or I should say thirsty again. God says to Moses, speak to the rock, and the water will miraculously come from the rock. But that's not how exactly Moses does it. You remember? Remember this time? Look at what the text says. Numbers chapter 20. Fast forward. Chapter 10, verse 10 and following. Then Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock, and he said to them, Here now, you rebels. Here now, you rebels. He's had it with them. You sense that? Shall we bring water for you out of the rock? And Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock with his staff twice, and water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank and their livestock. But then in verse 12, God calls out Moses, and notice what Moses did wrong. Verse 12, And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not believe in me, to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. Sometimes we read this story and think, well, the problem here is disobedience. God said to speak to the rock, and Moses struck it. He struck it twice. He disobeyed, and that's true. But that seems like such a minor offense to have such an extreme punishment, don't you think? Not to be allowed to go into the promised land. I believe, though, if you look at the text here, you you see the problem isn't so much as disobedience. I think it was Moses' pride playing out here. His words help us to see that Moses believed more in himself than in God. Notice his wording, shall we... How can Moses speak that way? You can tell he's frustrated. He already called them rebels. Shall we? God calls it what it is, unbelief. That's the problem. The striking the rock, that's the symptom. The problem was the unbelief, the pride. Moses wasn't giving God credit. Notice those words, must we bring forth water. He doesn't say, behold, the power of God. God said, you don't believe me. You didn't honor me as God before these people. (laughs) And when it comes to the power of Moses, let's be clear. There's no we. Moses needed reminding. And the message is the same for you and me. One day, one moment, maybe a season, we're doing well. And we've got our right perspective. We're thinking well of God. We're thinking well of ourselves. And like it's almost like the next day at work or the next month or maybe it's the next year. And we're right here with Moses. Even as an old man who should have been wiser, more mature, further along in his faith, he learned a great lesson about pride. And he wanted to make sure that is, he's not able to go into the promised land, he's given his people advice and wants to make sure that they don't fall prey to what he did. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, the people are about to enter the land of promise. The Bible tells us here he's 120 years old, but his eyes are not weak. He hadn't lost his strength, but he wants them to learn from his mistake. Look, look very quickly, chapter 8, verses 17 and following. Beware, lest you say in your heart, My power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers, as it is to this day. Do you hear what Moses is saying? And what we have through inspiration for us today, everything good comes from God. Give him credit for it. He's given you the ability to hang on to it or maybe to to work for it. But it's his blessing. He made it happen. You know, the Bible says God hates pride. Proverbs, I think it's chapter 6. mentions seven things the Lord hates. It says haughty eyes or proud look. And I thought about that. Why does God hate pride? We don't like to use that word hate. Not supposed to hate. You know, we teach the children that, but there are some things we should hate. God hates pride, and we should hate that, especially if it's in ourselves. But why does God hate pride? I think I have an answer. Pride keeps us from him. Pride makes me think, I've got it. Pride makes me think, I did that. Pride makes me think, I can do it myself. Pride makes me think, I can be good enough to go to heaven. Pride makes me think, and it's all about me. And the whole time, just like Moses, I'm looking at me, and I'm not looking at God. Pride makes me think, I don't need to be baptized. Pride makes me think, what would people think about that? Look at the screen, two verses. You know these already by heart. James 4, verse 6 and verse 10. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. You know, there's a reason we close our eyes in prayer. There's a reason we get on our knees. There's a reason we just lay out before the Lord. It's a spirit of humility, and it comes across in our posture. Humble yourself before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Pride is so dangerous. It's my problem. It's your problem. And we've got to help each other. Our song of invitation is to encourage. If we as a church can pray for you, part of our prayer will be, Lord, and help me too, because we also have this problem. Or if today you're ready to accept Jesus Christ, have your sins washed away in baptism, we've got the water ready, and we'll rejoice with you. If we can be your church family, support and help you in any way, would you come as we stand and sing to encourage.